Welcome to Life on Mars, a podcast about technology, entrepreneurship, and innovation. You will listen to stories of the best founders, inventors, experts, and celebrities from all around the galaxy. Welcome to Life on Mars. I'm Alex, the CEO and founder of Marspace. And in this episode, we will be talking to Thomas Petit, one freelancer specialized in product growth and marketing that I've been following on Twitter for so many years. He runs by the handle at Thomas PCN, as in Thomas Barcelona. I think I met him through the guys at 8 Feet, if I'm not uh, remembering uh, wrongly. The thing is, he's been very opinionated. You know, he's a freelancer, but he's very opinionated, very contrarian when it comes to the growth mentality that a lot of startups, a lot of people in the tech industry have, you know, of that kind of mentality that goes along the lines of growth at all costs, kind of like following the Uber model of crashing and burning things and trying to be this Uber capitalist mindsets that most constantly, they just ruin things for the rest of players in the industry, overvaluing companies, inflation, inflationing the salaries, and just indulging in some dark patterns when it comes to marketing product and technology that are not very ethical or moral, right? Um, that's one of the things I like about him. He's super transparent. He runs a very, very good growth-based um, newsletter. He's very opinionated. And in spite of being in the tech industry where everybody seems to be, you know, happy to hit that hockey stick growth. And of course, he has to do some some things to, you know, when he's hired as a freelancer and he has to grow the companies that he's hired uh, to work for. But he does it in a much more ethical way that most people, the 99% of people in the industry. He earns huge my respect. We're also very aligned on our views, as you know, at Markspace, and especially as like in the founders of Markspace, we're really opinionated about certain things. Especially when it comes to politics, when it comes to employee relations, when it comes to, you know, brand identity and ethical values. Um, I would, you know, uh, I would argue that I have very contrarian views myself when it comes to, you know, VC backed companies and the kind of tactics they employ, uh, just to grow, grow beyond limits, to outpace the competition and try to inflate their, uh, valuation as much as possible, kind of like some tactics that we've seen some, especially, you know, I'm going to bash on some Spanish companies because they are the ones that we have in our circle. Um, but that could be said and also, you know, uh, about the companies in the, in the United States or every other country in the world. But we've all heard about, you know, Theranos, that, that company in the US that uh, committed like huge fraud and other companies, uh, that have, you know, also committed fraud and other despicable actions in the in the industry in Silicon Valley. Their stories are much more famous. So that's why, you know, we mentioned a few of them that are more like national or like more like local. Um, and also because, you know, we've either worked for them or competed against them or, you know, we've got friends in the company. So we are all in the same ecosystem. Anyways, that being said, huge respect to Thomas. And I'm very thankful for his time just because he's very open about it, very transparent on Twitter and all his on his social media. It takes a certain kind of attitude and values and strength and courage to do that because not everybody, like everybody likes to play it on the safe side. 
And there's so this sort of like patronizing culture of the gatekeepers of the industry, whereby they always tell you not to have strong opinions, not to be opinionated, not to stand up for things in public, you know. And we've seen that in the latest years, there's been some global movements that have really shaken uh, the world art, the tech industry. And more likely, most likely than not, a lot of people, a vast majority of people have taken a stance and things like Black Lives Matter or some revolutions in the Middle East or, you know, uh, racial injustice or what have you, right? So a uh, huge shout out to Thomas because he's also very, very opinionated in some things uh, happening in the Spanish and the Spanish startup ecosystem, in the Spanish tech and startup ecosystems. We name a couple of companies here and there um, because we, you know, we might not be very aligned with their policies and their tactics. And so, you know, as a huge follower of his, I think I, we recorded a really interesting interview where we discuss growth, where we discuss the intersection of product growth and business and all about these tactics, like how VC money sort of corrupts the startup uh, missions and values, how growth at all costs is more detrimental than not because a lot of companies think that they are like the next Uber, the next Instagram, the next Facebook, but in all likelihood, they are not. But they, employed all, they employ all these tactics nonetheless. And that's not going to go down very well in their path or in their entrepreneurial career, right? We talk a lot about dark patterns, right? About companies citing their, you know, their uh, membership cancellation options, about like some UX dark things that you can do in order to sort of uh, monetize more your users or to have them more addicted to your platform. And because growth and marketing are most likely, and most companies are not taking into account ethical KPIs, right? The KPIs, these uh, particular areas of the companies are driven by and measure against some KPIs, which are like, you know, engagement rates, cost of acquisition, uh, lifetime value, and conversion rates, and click-through rates, and whatnot. But and all, all the growth people are incentivized to make these numbers go up, right? And all these charts go up and to the right, without thinking about the consequences, about the long-term consequences. And now you, we're seeing them. We talk about Facebook. We talk about Instagram. About uh, We talk about Twitter, uh, how Twitter is like actually implementing some things that go against the growth mindset and they're detrimental to the growth, um, to the growth, uh, let's say, KPIs. Like, for instance, when you want to retweet an article that you haven't clicked on, Twitter will stop you, will prevent you from doing that. Let's say, do you really want to retweet that or do you want to read it first, right? And a lot of people will have second thoughts about it and they will retweet less, but maybe they are spreading fewer false news or uh, fewer articles that are clickbaity and they are not really saying what they explain in the title. So maybe this goes against the KPIs of growth, but it's a much more ethical and moral standard of living uh, and, and, and acting and developing and designing because that's what we're here for, right? We talk about product, we talk about UX, marketing, and technology. So without further ado, I'll leave you with this interview with Thomas Petit. Let's go with it. Thomas, welcome to the show. Comment ça va? Hey, Alex. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, yeah, long time no see and uh, excited for today. 
Yeah, I want I wanted to bring a an expert in marketing in the show because that, that's something you know I've got I've got a, I've got a saying that probably probably you're not gonna like, but yeah, I've been saying this too 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 often recently because my experience with some apps and some technology is that marketers ruin everything. Like once marketers exploit something that works, I've got the feeling that they tend to over exploit it, and maybe it's part of their company culture. Maybe it's something ingrained. In the in the KPIs that they've got in their growth um, mindset and whatnot, but like uh, let's try to discuss this. I wanted to talk about dark patterns. I wanted to talk about growth hacking, about company values. Where should we start? Maybe you want to give a little bit of context as to when did you become? I don't know if you call yourself a marketer, but certainly you're a marketing expert in my eyes. Yeah, it's just the, the buzzword change every two or three years. So I guess lately people would tag it as something like growth manager because it makes it sound more fancy, but uh, I don't use title. So I guess, I guess, yeah, that works. I, I, I do try to broaden a little bit my scope and dabble with more product and data stuff, but uh, marketing is where I come from and actually where, what people pay me to do. So yeah, that's what it is. When, when did you start? How did your, your, your passion for this area uh, kind of like come from? Actually, I, I, I wouldn't say I, I discovered the passion. It's more like the field discovered me a bit out of, of uh, I don't know, uh, default. I make a very generalist business school, uh, work in a couple of things. Um, I tried to build a SaaS company uh, 12 years ago, failed miserably. And suddenly I needed a job and people were okay to give that to me and because I had like some online background and stuff and social media was just starting. I just happened to start because people wanted to pay me for that and not for other things. And apparently, I don't know, it kind of the field dragged me there and I kept going deeper without really deciding ever that this was going to be my career. So yeah, marketing decided for me, you know, way. Yeah, and um, and to, to be honest, shout out to your um, newsletter because I, I think it's a, it's a very interesting one. Um, and you, you can you can you can share how people can sur- subscribe to that. But one of the things that really attracted me to invite you to this podcast, you know, at Marspace we're a very opinionated company, right? And there are some companies that are hugely opinionated, and uh, and of course they're our influence. I'm not even gonna name them now. But um, you are extremely opinionated on social media too, right? Uh, your your Twitter handle, especially, and your I, I think that we coincide or our opinions overlap in sort of understanding that not everything is good. Not you you can you can like no the end doesn't always justify the means in tech and growth and marketing and your exposing certain bad practices of companies very explicitly in social media. How, my, my question here is like, why did you decide doing that? Because a lot of people will tell you that will be detrimental to your career. I will add to that. Fuck that shit. It's not. But when did you decide and why? Well, uh, I guess I just have this opinion and I wanted to say them and, and I just went with it. Also, I think it was also a reaction to like lots of lots of thoughts online are not bold enough, like too polished, and you can feel like kind of sometimes the power of the corporate behind, or when a very big company releases a feature, the way it's written, it feel like a lawyer has written it, and 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 it makes 
I think it makes lose what what's actually important. And I say, fuck it. I'm going to say what I see. I'm going to be wrong many times. It might be detrimental. Uh, every now and then I'm thinking, oh, I should just shut up and delete, delete all the those tweets that are already <laughs> recorded somewhere. But eventually I, I, I realized that it comes with a slight risk, like can slip and say something you shouldn't have. Um, but most of the time, even people who disagree, they, they actually like the fact that you actually uh, putting the voice out and not following like very bland opinions. And honestly, I think it played in my, in my favor on the long term. just whether people agree or disagree is a completely different thing, but uh, yeah, at least like here, there's a strong opinion. It's interesting to see. Also like to hear strong opinions of, of opponents. Uh, and yeah, Twitter is kind of cool for that because people are extremely radical. And even if sometimes it pushes a bit far, I think it wakes up to, some perspective that you might not get in other echo chambers. Yeah, and it creates some sort of debate. Uh, one can argue that maybe it's toxic because there's a lot of trolling, there's a lot of bots and whatnot. But at least uh, I don't like the... Uh, the one thing I appreciate about Twitter and people like you in particular is like you're not sugarcoating stuff, right? And of course, I think there's sort of a, a gatekeeping in the industry in which if you're young, you cannot have opinions. But the older you get, it's like, oh, this, look, look at this reference in marketing. Uh, this uh, super experienced VC, they have really shit opinions sometimes, but they have very blunt opinions. And because they're old, they are respected and revered, right? But young people are like, no, they're just like trolls. I don't know. That's sort of my understanding. That's why I appreciate. I think we're on the same mindset here. How do you see it? I yeah, I never, like I never thought of it through the through the lens of age. Might be, might be true in a, in in many cases, but I don't think it's necessarily like the whole explanation. I think it's also like the liberty you have to 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 voice. The, I mean, you have to want to voice strong opinions publicly, but I don't think it's necessarily only age. Uh, obviously, experience helps a little bit, but I think it's also what you what you can do. Uh, younger, lots of people would think, oh, it's going to be detrimental if I say that, and actually. It gets sometimes. Um, I mean, it's it's. I, I'm a freelance now, uh, so it just makes it a lot easier to to just speak because I mean I'm only going to hurt myself. I'm not going to have to deal with any kind of company lawyer or whatever, and it and it makes it easier. Um, so I guess when you're part of an organization, it's a little bit harder to voice things that are related to your work, just out of contracts. Maybe uh, never thought of it through the age lens, but might be true as well. Uh, so basically your views reflect the views of your employer because you're <laughs> employing yourself, right? In this case, you don't have this limitation. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, but, but like, for instance, like uh, I'm starting to think like, I remember when I got into my, I'm not a marketer, right? Uh, but I have sort of become one because even though I come from development, since I created the company, I'm doing all the marketing efforts in Mark Space, marketing and sales, which are two, feel, two fields that are entirely new to me. And I remember that like when you're starting, it's super uh, enjoyable and it's kind of like addictive to see that mar like the very basic marketing you can do for a startup or a tech company with 20% of the effort, you get 80% of the results, right? So you get some immediate results and that creates that sort of like dopamine kick that perhaps I think that's why a lot of people get into, into marketing and they, they sort of try the AVC of marketing. Oh, if you do this, it works. You do this, it works. And I find myself that after a few years, 
I see that everybody's employing the same tactics. It's kind of like they have this this guide style book or whatever, right? They, they all employ the same push notification, the same messaging, the same tone, the same vibe. And it gets tiring after a while. Maybe I sound like somebody who's like really old into this and I've been only eight years into the marketing, but probably, can you also spot, like, are am I totally off the mark here? Or can you also spot this sort of, you know, things that you can read between the lines and say like, ah, they're employing the HubSpot guide style. They're employing the Salesforce guide style here and when it comes to marketing. Yeah, I guess I guess it's kind of, of natural. Before answering that, I'll, I'll come back to where you started, which is actually one of the things that I do like about uh, marketing in general and acquisition in particular is that the feedback is so instant. Like sometimes right, we go on and develop not even a whole product, but just a, a feature that is slightly complex and between research and design and development, maybe even testing very quickly, that's that's a few months of of between the idea and actually starting seeing it live, even as an MVP or whatever. And I'm way too impatient for that kind of cycles. And yeah. in a way, uh, marketing has this thing that is very a thing of the instant, uh, a bit like Twitter compared to other things, but uh, and you get the feedback instantly. You try something, after a couple of days, you already got a feeling if it, it will get traction or not. And very fast, you can tweak it. Very fast, you can cut it down. You can also launch it very fast without requiring like a lot of specs. And I actually really like the fields for that. I did went a little bit more into, into product at some point, but I got frustrated about like kind of waiting times that and until I, I get this response. And I think that's one thing I like. But coming back to, to, to your question, yeah, I mean, there's this, I think it's on the Reforge blog. Like there is this kind of stages of marketing tactics and channels in general where early adapter take all the risk. You don't know how to do it. You have no clue, but suddenly you strike gold and you're among the first. And it's just like a ridiculous wave. Uh, to give you an example, I was a I was a beta tester for Pinterest ads a long time ago. And I mean, among apps were maybe three or four advertisers for apps. It was unbelievable. Like the price were just insanely cheap like think less than 10x what it was on facebook at the time and mm. the user had never been exposed to any ads the response was absolutely unbelievable Correct. and suddenly they deployed the product larger and well honeymoon period over we start to optimize and suddenly big brand came and we're like i mean it it can still make a lot of sense to advertise on Pinterest, but in that particular case, we just dropped it and moved to something. And then TikTok was appearing. And if you were the first there, you have to dig a lot. There's no best practice. You have to find it by yourself. Actually, I think that's what excites me, like that there is no playbook, that there is no best practices. But mm -hmm. if it works, and if from a marketing standpoint, but in this case, if users flock there, everybody will follow, like eventually. Um, my colleague, Eric Surfer, wrote a piece on TikTok ads recently saying like, I mean, if you're not there, there's something you're doing wrong. Like you can't you can't ignore the fact that a billion people are spending over an hour per day on, on this platform. And I think then it starts making like, okay, what works? Oh, these companies have done it well. Let's follow what they did because I need to bring results. It's not all the fun about trying. You actually need to bring usually very short-term results. Like, yeah, I need 10,000 users for next week and stuff. And so you're kind of compelled to follow what other people made seem to work, where I think this is like, in my opinion, this is just a natural cycle where I think people are playing this really wrong is that 
what is publicly exposed as best practice is often hiding the real, like devil is in the detail. And the real reason right. why this work is not why it's exposed. And you have to work this out somehow. I, I, I've seen a lot of best practice, which I think people should do the exact opposite. Like they're like, if you do that, it's going to fail because maybe it was true six months ago, but then everybody's done it and nobody wants to see what you're doing. I'm seeing, for example, a lot of people doing meme ads on, on, on Instagram right now. How long is this going to last? I don't know. Maybe, maybe if you put this Bernie Sanders sitting with his, his gloves, oh uh, my God. it worked three months ago, but then people get fed up of that and eventually it fades, you know, or this Italian dude from TikTok, same thing, or, I mean, everything is going to fade at some point. And yeah, timing timing here is crucial. When you're too early, you're losing a lot of time by not, I mean, it's trial and error. I think it's super exciting. It's just less efficient. If you're in the acceleration curve, it's perfect. If you arrive like a laggard, I mean, all the benefits has been ripped already and you have to invent something new. And it, I guess the field is like this, that renews very fast. And in my opinion, is what makes it nice, but also enable startup to move faster than big corporate and actually grab this opportunity before the big agencies and stuff are coming to it because they're a bit more careful, but also a bit more, a bit slower. And that's what makes that startup can actually exist, in fact. Okay. Oh, you raised a really interesting thing here that made me, that made me think a, a little bit deeper. It's so like I say, when they share these best practices, they don't share the real reason why it works. My question is like, because they don't know it? Or because they don't want to share it. Why do you think this is not shared? Because it's true. Like you read all these guides, like you should advertise here because the, you know, the, uh, the engagement rate is this one and this is how you do it. But I've never seen like kind of like the technical reason in these articles. I guess in a way, in the long term, there's nothing, there's no trick that you can hide. It's going to be exposed maybe first a bit like in private, but eventually like it will be known. So I, I don't necessarily think like it's a it's a will to hide the real part that really works. Okay. But it's more one the way content marketing is done. Like oh, I need to simplify this and I need to add a layer of bullshit around it and I need to make it easy to read <laughs> just before just because it's gonna expand reach. Like if you get too technical, people get bored and then suddenly your content get less reach. So it's kind of marketing the marketing as its a negative effect in this in this case. Yeah. Um, but I guess also like there's lots of like you don't want to expose all your experiments and your ads and how you fail to get there. It's less sexy. Um, and and in a bunch of cases, it's actually companies don't want to show it. Like I was reviewing a, a friend's agency case study last week. And I read it all and I get at the end of it and I'm saying, dude, this is so boring. There's there's nothing in there. And he say, yeah, but the only bits that are interested, the client asked me specifically not to show them. I was like, yeah, mm -hmm. but then don't make the case study at all. Eventually he published it and he got he got good traction on, on readers on that. And I was like, yeah, this is just full of shit, you know. I wouldn't I wouldn't put my brain onto that, but it's planned, it works, position you as, as an expert where actually the content is like, oh man, this is just ridiculous. It's the way it is, I mean. It's easy for an individual to expose opinionated opinions on Twitter. I think it's very hard for a company and especially a marketing agency to expose very bold tactics in its in its blog, mm. stuff that will not apply to all the clients, stuff that might push off beginners, people who are not uh, uh, very deep into the field. And it's actually in some cases counterproductive 
not in the sense of I want to hide, but rather it's just more efficient to produce this, my opinion, low quality content. Yeah, and I sort of, you can spot it. Like for instance, uh, some weeks ago, I was I was reading, I was researching on how to improve the podcast. Right, so you know, basically, you Google how to improve the podcast or something like that. I don't remember what I typed, but you you get the ten top ten articles, and basically, most of them were just rubbish because they were super sugar-coated stuff, very basic stuff that everybody knows. If you've been doing a podcast for a year, you know that, you know, the audio needs to be like crisp quality, right? It's like, okay, yeah, but give me like more like technical stuff that we can do like in terms of SEO or whatever, right? Or using this platform against each other. And basically all the concepts, they were exactly the same. These articles had overlapped in 90% of the content. And, and you know, if all of them were, you know, this list of, five things you need to do or 10 things you need to do. And out of the 10 things, the last one is always use a good, use our software. Right? Yeah. So that's one of the dark patterns. I mean, probably it's one of the least aggressive dark patterns I'm seeing in the, in the web and in the world of technology, right? But that's something else. I wanted to start getting into dark patterns. I think that's a good segue to, to go into it. It's like, oh, so the main and only reason you wrote that blog post for it's because you wanted to do the product placement in your own website. And yeah, that makes you wonder, did they really did they really like think through the content or was like more like automated stuff? Like let's put generic content like you were saying. I mean, there are a bunch of reasons here. One is I believe most content marketers are undervalued and underpaid. Like if you've got a, yes. a proper copywriter that point. can write 10x content. There are very few companies who are willing to pay the price different for it. Even like, and a it's a bit. Of, uh, uh, I'm not a great writer myself, but when, when I come up with like content that is really well written, I have a huge respect for that. And it, from from a long term and brand perspective, for me, it's a very like it's a game changer. But I also see in the day to day, like kind of this is the last wheel of the car, like and and money tries to be saved in that area and that push for relatively low quality content. But also, I guess it's a reflection of, of human nature here. See, for example, you say, okay, in this top 10 results, uh, most of them, they're like listicles of five things to do to them and top 10 tricks for your podcast. Yeah, but the thing is, this is how people search in Google. So you want to produce this content for where there is volume of search, not for the three weirdos that actually have a very specific query, but like for the many thousand that look for it. And then we fall into clickbait all the time like and it's just that these listicles they just fucking work people click on it so if google see that user click on it they rank it higher and it's just like a natural cycle of actually pushing not the best content up in many cases if you look at I, I, I think in google the quality of results have lowered not because google is doing a bad job but because uh, human nature is pushing us towards that direction. If you look exactly. at it on clickbait on the Facebook feed, at some point they had to manually decide that the content people wanted to share the most would not be pushed as much, like because it went too far. That's already like a few years ago, like four or five years ago. Yep. And yep, it yep, was yep. actually detrimental for Facebook because they could see user engagement was higher on this shit content. And they took like kind of a, I mean, everybody's shit yeah, on fake news the time. And, and here right, I'm yeah. saying they actually took a, a decision that was not great for them in the short term. And it's just, I'm not saying Facebook does great thing here. I'm just saying we yeah. humans 
have a terrible behavior on picking content. Like yeah. we love clickbait, we fall into it all the time. Like and and we're we're all guilty, I guess, in in this sense. Yeah, and uh, and and to your point, and you raised a really good point here. Is like it works for most of the people. That's the point. Then Google ranks on popularity and engagement. But I accidentally ended up in this in these results because they ranked the higher because they're precisely not ranked on the quality of the. I mean, it's on average it's good quality for the majority of people, but it's not tailored to the quality I'm looking for, right? So therefore, I contributed to even make them rank higher because I yeah. clicked on them, I read them, and I spent time on them, and I was like, but that's not like if I could downvote that. If there was a button for me to downvote, it's like that's not the kind of article I wanted to see. Yeah, things could be different, but I mean that that doesn't work yet, right? I mean, on Twitter well, there is a downvote button now. Yeah, I mean, I I got it this week. Um, big companies, I mean, have produced algorithmic like change, whether it's for the feed or Google result or whatever that are really impressive, I would say. But downvoting also comes with consequences. So Reddit yeah. is really big on that. Hacker News, but. It can also go sideways very fast, and it's not necessarily going to improve the quality of content. Um, I mean, it's really, it's it's really like content, uh, not not moderation here, but like kind of filtering is very tricky. Uh, I don't think don't voting is the is the answer, but may, maybe you're very demanding about the 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 depth of content you were looking into. And the truth is that when I want to learn about something I don't know, let's say. I've never, I, I mean, I participate in a bunch of podcasts, but I'm never the the, the organizer, the, let's say the producer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no fucking clue how it's done. And probably these articles would be relatively useful to me because I have no fucking clue. But then when I'm looking at something that is a bit more specific, and let's say my demands are high, just like yours were, <laughs> typically this is not something I'm going to Google. This is something I'm going to say, oh, I know this company posted related content that was good. I'm going to dig on what they say. Or I know that guy is really good at this. I'm going to ask him and maybe he doesn't have the late trick, but it's going to tell me like, oh yeah, look at how these guys do it. And look at, oh yeah, last week I read really 10x content about it. And so, and I'm going to slack a friend and I'm going to ask for, uh, let's say for a referral to somebody I know. And so when when it's a bit more technical uh, or like when, when I need more depth, Googling is not my reflex. But when you need a, a let's say relatively broad approach on topics, Googling is awesome because you get this 101 instantly. It's it's yeah. actually brilliant. Like you get the answer very fast, but it's not very deep. Like not so many people want the hard truth uh, with all the depth. And in this case, I don't Google. I ask people I know in the film. Maybe I'll ping you something about this podcast promotion sure. tricks instead of Googling this shitty listicle. Yeah, I, I I have to admit that I search on Twitter first before going right. on, to, on to Google. But like Twitter search is like so bad, it's not even funny. But I get really good answers. Like for, for instance, like even as a developer, sometimes I first tweet, uh, like I, I search on Twitter, then going into uh, um, Stack Overflow or even Google because it's like, oh, I, I get this really specific. And then I can reach out to the person one-on-one directly you know, kind of like yeah. without having to go through the platform and sign up here and whatnot. But yeah. I'm, I'm surprised you do this for, for technical topics, but I admit yeah. I do it for less technical topics because not it's going to provide me an answer, but it's going to direct me towards somebody who knows. And very often I would use the Twitter search filtering. 
yeah. from my followings, like the 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 few thousand people that I've already trusted. Like like yeah, I trust the, the content. I want to see the content, and then it would just mm-hmm. direct me like, oh, oh yeah, I forgot this guy was talking about that, and I would it would just point me towards a direction where to get where where to dig. Uh, but almost never give me the answer. That's why for a technical question, I found it a little bit bizarre, but I think we're weirdos here. Like, I mean, the normal is to search on Google and the number two search engine in the world is actually YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twitter is probably like you, me, and two other weirdos. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Um, circling back to something <laughs> that you said before is that um, marketing people are underpaid. So... Let's no, not punch I down. Say I say content I mean, marketing people. And content people. marketing people, yeah. Or maybe, you know, people who are not like the VP of marketing, of course, will be well paid in a company, right? But content marketing is often disregarded as something that, you know, you can outsource to any kind of agency or PR, some sort of like social media marketing. However, let's not punch down. Punch down. Let's punch up. And so what can we do as companies to, uh, besides, you know, raising the salaries or paying better for better kind of content and, 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 and marketing, because I think that sort of contributes to the vicious life cycle of, you know, even lowering the standards even more because there's always a cheaper option that works because yeah. it works. It gives you 80% of the results for a very low price, right? I don't know what we can do. I mean, there are a few behaviors that I adopted personally, I think that are going to lead nowhere at all, but like, Let's say, let's take the LinkedIn feed, for example. So oh I don't God. know who the PM is there, but like, this is like a fucking catastrophe. And like, for the last maybe five years or more, everybody yeah. has realized that if you get people to go into the comment section, the distribution yeah. is bigger. So everybody Correct. is using this trick of, oh, go check in the first comment or comment this crap or react yeah. with remote is better and, like and do the this. Polls. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah, correct, so yeah. I promised myself that I would never go in the comments if the post is asking me to go in the comments. Or I would yeah. never react if I'm asked to react. And But you're a drop in I, the ocean. Your action will have no effect whatsoever. I'm one right? in a billion. The, the impact of this is going to be zero. I just want to believe that I'm going to do it. I know it's useless. I'm going to lose time. Fuck it. It's the same on Google. I stopped clicking on listicles unless it's for professional research. Like I want to rank my own listicle next to them. But otherwise, yeah. like I do not click on any article that starts with a number. Like that's it. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But this is, I don't know what we can do as many individuals. I know it's useless. I just like to do it like this. I, I don't know what we can really do. And I mean, for this company, like a, a massive amount of effort and smart brains is being like researching into it. It's just, it's a very hard topic. And like I said, we're fighting against human nature and putting the metric is hard. If you go into more of a practical, let's say relatively small startup, 10, 20, 50 people, um, and you're like, the problem you face very often, or at least the problem I face with a bunch of the ones I, I work with is, oh yeah, the paid marketing dudes, I put a hundred dollars there and two days later I've got $200 in sales. So it's yes. kind of like immediate. And if that guy, I'm going to pay him three grand and he's going to bring me 50 grand of business. It's an yeah. easy win to actually hire another one or raising or whatever. Whereas let's say not only on content, but overall more organic te- tactics, they take longer and they take months to actually show and they don't show up with like such a, okay, I've tracked 10 sales. It's from brand building to building community. 
I do believe people are not seeing the compounding effect of that. I mean, paid is like a water tap. You stop paying and it stops from a day to another. Like, yeah. um, but right. literally, like it stops. In, the, the effect is immediate. Like you're not building anything here. You just pay. Yeah. And I believe a lot of, of, of companies should rethink how combining the two is what is in my interest for the long term because I need this short-term result. But eventually, if I only do paid, I'm going to end up into a wall. And I think this is the reason why a lot of, content in particular, and let's say organic growth, people are vastly underpaid. It's because the consequences are much farther and less mm-hmm. measurable. And I believe it's a mistake, but it's a mistake. That's how, I mean, sometimes I am in a position to allocate budget. I'm like, fuck, I need to make a bet against the, the numbers that I see because I think it's the bigger goal in the long term. But if I'm looking at quarterly result, if we're fundraising into one, I can't make that bet too big. I have to I have to hide it somewhere under the carpet mm. because I'm going to start getting questions like, hey, but these two dudes that you hired, where where are the sales? I'm like, yeah, yeah they're coming next year. Uh, just wait for it. You have to trust my 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 voice for it. Uh, very few people, I mean, in some case, people do believe me on that, but uh, yeah. a lot of the time they're going to tell me like, yeah, dude, that's cool, but we can't really wait. Like, and... If you have the luxury to afford long-term bets, and I, and I guess that's kind of what you're doing with this podcast and with Startup Grind and also personal interest, but like betting on, on the very long term of companies, like probably this podcast is going to bring you zero lead, but mm-hmm. it developed kind of a following and it plays you in how like you position yourself as an individual, but also how the company is. And uh, this is a very long game you're playing. It's a long game you're playing yeah. because you're not here for this quarter results and because you're the boss. So nobody on top of you is going to say, hey, <laughs> why did you spend fucking two hours with Thomas trapping, like telling bullshit about feeds and, and Twitter and stuff? Has this bring any sales in the short term? The answer is no. Uh, but eh. Yeah, no, no, no. That's, that's a really good point. I mean, there are so many, so many points you raised here. Uh, the first one is that the problem with using these short-sighted um, content tactics or marketing tactics, sorry, is that they work. And if you don't employ them, you have the losing horse in the race, right? Yep. The other ones will have an advantage over you because they're using them because they're they're cheap and they work fast. And so if you choose not to, use, if you opt out from using them, then you're already like sort of like hindering yourself. Like uh, if you know what I mean, like I don't know if I got the point across, right? Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. If you can afford it because your company doesn't depend on fundraising or you're not playing the, you know, your boot, that's why bootstrap companies, we tend to be a little bit, in my eyes, more ethical because we are not racing against time. We are not running out of money, right? So we can be more opinionated. We can do things the, the other way around. Whereas startups and especially high growth startups, they're competing against themselves and against, you know, against their fundraising and, and whatnot. So they depend on short-term results, which in terms just incentivates the, them to do it uh, even more like that, right? Literally, what you're getting with VC money is you're trying to accelerate farther, like, uh, faster than you would have got. Maybe in some cases, you would never have gone in there because you need to capital to deploy and actually make it happen. But in many, many cases, I mean, I, I read a couple of years ago a stat that was like, out of all the VC dollars, uh, 40 cents are going to Google and Facebook immediately. That's not even counting the whole tail of other providers. And like, Jesus and, and a bunch of it is going to salaries and 
whatever it is, product development and customer support and, and, and HR and stuff to grow as well. But like a massive amount of this money is just there so that you can get faster. And in some markets, you need to, you, I mean, a lot, lots of markets are like kind of winner takes all. So you need this velocity. That's why you will only see VC money in business like uh, scooters, uh, deliveries and whatnots. But then, things that only work at a huge scale if you're the winner. It only if works if you're the winner. players, doesn't work. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you just need to be faster than the other ones. And I, I can't remember which VC it was, but actually they stopped betting on the, on like they made a mistake, which is they were betting on one horse in every race. And they're like, fuck, this is a wrong strategy. Now let's bet on the race. We're just going to finance all four of them. Eventually yeah. they're going to merge. Some are going to die, but we're going to end up with the winner. What we believe in is that this market will eventually have a winner. We have no fucking clue who it is. Let's not lose in any case. I think so just, Sequoia did that, right? And they I'm just fucking sure, bet on that. Yeah. And they put the money to compete with their own money, which in the in a short uh, pers- like in a short sighted perspective is sounds ridiculous, but they actually bet it on the on the game. Uh, in in yeah. your particular situation, you're you're in a very different position. You're not trying to get the fast as you can. You're, get, you're trying to get as far as you can, which Correct. totally changed the perspective and enables you to to like make some bets that are like on organic and on longer and don't yield immediate results. I, I'm not blaming VC for doing it. It's just the nature of some business. It's just like this. And yeah, I'm seeing a lot in, in my own space, like for subscription apps. Yeah, sometimes mm. when it's hard, you know, it just works. It's hard to resist. Like if I'm getting $2 every time I'm putting one there, why am I not putting a million dollars? Like, I mean, it would be stupid not to do it. I'm like, sometimes it's hard to see the big picture. Like, and the big picture is that this acceleration sooner or later often ends in the wall if you haven't built its complements in, in parallel. Um, but you only discovered that later, and when you see it, it's too late. Uh, happened to to many startups I've been at, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of, one of the things that I really realized here is that, um, and that's also circling back to one an, another topic you raised earlier on, which is the KPIs. Right? Um, it's not only that, mar- like this sort of like notification, instant gratification, these dopamine kicks. Uh, it works and provides immediate satisfaction, but also all of these marketing actions are measured against KPIs that only take into consideration like engagement and addiction and business results, right? But we haven't yet taken into the equation something more like, you know, some some more ethical stuff. I don't know what's the solution here. Certainly not an expert on this, but like, of course, if you optimize for engagement, you can be really addictive and really toxic, right? Like, for instance, one one dark pattern that I've seen in a lot of companies is like, oh, churn is bad, right? You don't want people canceling their accounts. Let's make it complicated, right? That's why I'm so vocal against like fucking Glovo, because it's like you cannot cancel your account through the fucking app. They've raised like 400 million, 500 million. You, can, you have to write an email you have to like be there in person in their office and kind of like, you know, it's, dude, and I'm pretty sure that's not laziness. That's not product. That's not marketing. It's like, let's not give people an option to cancel their accounts because our VCs don't want to see churn, right? Let's not give people an option, right? Um, I don't know what you take on this. Probably it's the least aggressive or uh, 
maybe they're worse dark patterns. They're certainly worse uh, yeah, dark patterns worse. than this one. But this one is one that really bucks me off because it's like, I want to cancel through the fucking app. It was like, Deliveroo was also very complicated. And I don't know, American Express is impossible, right? So some companies are like, no, we're not going to give them this option. I'm like really pissed off about not being able to cancel my account through the fucking app. And I have to call somebody in yeah. 2021, right? I, what I are the worst dark patterns that you've seen? Or which are the ones that piss you the most? I, I had to send a fax to cancel a subscription not this year. Like 2021, there was no other what way. Company? To what company? What company? Can we call them that? American They're... company. Uh, I, I, I'm gonna. All right. They, they've changed, so that's why I don't want to name it. Well, fucking. Name All right. It. It's, the New, it's the New York Times. They changed the. Oh uh, yeah, they're super famous. DHH from yeah. <laughs> from Basecamp is like super. Except they changed because okay, then I resubscribed. There was a very. I, I like a bunch of the article. I did resubscribe. The offer was just unbelievable. Uh, I also, I don't know. Uh, they're a big company with lots of people, but um, I wanted to support it just to make a gesture. It was more of a donation than anything, really, subscription. Yeah. And then yeah. I wanted to cancel again. <laughs> and actually, it took me less than a minute. Uh, it was brilliant. Finally. Like, oh. So I don't know. Maybe I think it's because I'm international as well. Like the process is different for US people. So you might want to look into that. But uh, yeah, in this case, it's it's kind of who at the New York Times decided to make the decision that canceling the subscription would go from the most tedious process ever to something very simple. What has been the logic behind is, was the public backlash of, of DHS too hard? Is this yeah. just they changed the manager who said, no, I don't want to retain clients again. They will. We want happy customers. And just to I believe it went from a change in management perspective and not really a particular public backlash, but I, I don't know the backstory here. I just know that it was easy as fuck for me. Like, so I was surprised because I did it twice. Like, But fucking sending a fax, I had to Google this thing, like how to send a fax, you know? Like, uh, <laughs> it's like, I wouldn't even know where to start now. I've, I've sent a fax like 20 years ago. We had a fax machine at home. Yeah. My, my dad had home office and whatnot, but like, I don't. I didn't even know fax existed nowadays. Uh, yeah, yeah, they do. They do. You can do it online. Like you upload your picture, and they will charge you like a ridiculously small amount, and the fax would go through. Like it does exist. I don't know anyone with a fax machine, but apparently yeah. some companies have some. But yeah, that one. That one was kind of ridiculous. I mean, the thing about dark patterns is they can be a, a bit everywhere. Um, yeah, it goes from this. Like this one is very obvious. I think the actually the nasty one are the ones that are really really hidden. Are the ones that are really like you don't realize it ever, like that you were pushed to make this choice. And uh, sometimes, Can you give an example or two, like uh, the thing is, sometimes it's borderline product genius, UX genius, and dark pattern into pushing people into going further into the process. And let, I'll take an example, like. I see a lot of onboardings in subscription apps and most of them, they start with very simple questions. And then the more you go through it, the more you give about yourself so much so that when you arrive to the payroll, you really believe like, first, you've made a commitment. You already spent 10 minutes to answer all this stuff you need to go through. Yes. Yes. Two, it's going to be so much more personalized because you've answered all that. And I know for a fact that for a bunch of those, all this information you feel actually doesn't personalize anything after that. It's just to raise the intent on the payroll. But actually, the experience is the exact same if you answer something different. In this case, is, is it a dark pattern? Yes, it is. But how bad is the lie? 
I mean, people don't seem to be too bothered. I'll even give you a crazy, crazy experiment here. I will not name the company, but I've seen several do it. Uh, I think Noom has it as well. So everybody's copying that now, which is just before the payroll, there was this page that was loading. And Mm -hmm. I called the PM and I say, man, this loading is too, is too long. Like it waits for like five seconds. Can we shorten it? Like, because I don't, I don't think users want to wait. It's like, uh, is, is there something you're calculating in the background that takes so much? You say, oh no, that's totally fake, but we A-B tested that if it was instant or it, when it's five yeah. seconds, people think something is happening, that you're yeah. customizing the plan and preparing them something really cool, which was, and they even A-B tested like one second and three seconds and five seconds, like absolutely crazy. Like, does this qualify as dark pattern? Yes. Mm. Yeah, it's sort of like it. Remi- you know, it remi- <laughs> this one. This one example reminds me of the one that you know, Booking.com brought up this um, sort of uh, this technology is like only two on our side. Like three people are watching three this. People are this looking ad, into right? it, and in some companies they have implemented that with some really shit libraries. And you go into code inspection and you see it's like something hard coded. Right. Yeah, uh, with and with a random fake. number between three and eight, like. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and so that that's what I'm saying. Like, so dark patterns, and you know, to kind of like, uh, to in in your in the marketer's defense, they come at the intersection of marketing, product, and technology because mm-hmm. the developers have to implement that stuff, right? And sometimes, like, no man, I'm not going to implement this, right? So I mean, that's why I'm saying, like, um, I'm I'm seeing, but the thing is, like, this fucking shit works. Because we are not measuring against some more like ethical KPIs. We're only measuring against some like business-driven, uh, growth-driven KPIs, right? And it's like, I don't, I don't know, man. I just really don't want to work in that. I really don't want to do that. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not all the same. And I, I mean, it works no. for a reason and we, we fall for it. I don't think that from a legal standpoint, nothing can happen because it's just too tricky. Every case is different. But if you look yeah. at another one, which is, not accepting the consent pop-ups, cookies, GDPR, whatever. At oh some God. point, the European Union had to come and say, okay, like the dark patterns have went way too far. You need yes. a refuse-all button at the beginning. Like you need to have a one-click refusal. And, and it still doesn't really, are, it's not really implemented. It's not fully enforced, but that's what the yeah. law is saying now. It took like three or four years to realize that everybody was hiding the things like so bad you had to click everywhere that your opinion is, yeah. okay, what we designed at first didn't work, but just because the law always catch up later. I, I'll, I'll tell you a very similar one for emails. So yeah, I, I've got a tag on, on every email that come. If there is the world unsubscribe or darte de baja or anything like this, I've got a tag so that I know it's not a personal email. It's like kind of a mailing list. And yeah. once in a while, I would unsubscribe from this or that, that I did subscribe legitimately. They're not spam. The stuff I registered to, I don't want to see it anymore. Or I accepted the terms I didn't even know. If I click on unsubscribe and I need more than one click to actually be yes. unsubscribed, this is straight spam. Like straight spam. Because eventually, uh, even yeah. though I'm a drop in the ocean, the signal that you send by marking them as spam is really hard Like uh, for, for the company. If Same. just... 10 people out of 10,000 market a spam. It's like a really, really bad thing for your delivery. And so yeah. I have this thing. It's like, if you don't let me unsubscribe in one click, I'm not going to go through your process. I'm happy to leave feedback, like unsubscribe in one click and then ask me for feedback. That's Correct. cool. I'll give it to you. 
But if I like MailChimp, MailChimp does it well, right? You click there, yeah. it's like, oh, you have been unsubscribed. Do you, you want to give a reason? Perfect. But you are yeah. already unsubscribed, right? Exactly. They manage languages terribly with this process, but still the, yeah. the, the process is nice and they force people to, to be like this. But like forcing me to log in to actually unsubscribe, big no-no. Like this is- Write this your is email. Big no-no. It's right? like, you know my email, motherfucker. Yeah, Why, yeah, Why should I write it? I click from it. You have it. Like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, e- email spam. So, or the dark pattern of like, oh, you sign up for my product. You are automatically signed up to all of our newsletters and all yep. of our communications. Like, I'm not sure how GDPR uh, contemplates this, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't really allow you to do that legally. Right? Yeah, I think it does because it's the same company. The thing is, nobody reads the fine print. So as long as the company say, hey, you also subscribe to all of that. And there is a checkbox that you do no, but, check. But, yeah, but you need to check explicitly something that in yes. order to receive the, uh, the marketing company or commercial communications, you need to check a separate box. Only in Europe. I, uh, only Europe. Yeah, I know. Only yeah. Europe. But even though for a European company, sometimes it's like, you try this product, boom, all of a sudden you receive a fucking email with, with where I'm like... Even happened with some company that's, you know, our friends in the industry. So this is like, we, we, we tested it. It's a company from Barcelona. Let's try it for our company, blah, for internal usage and whatever. We ended up not using it. It's like, and all of a sudden we started receiving all of these newsletters. Like, ah, no, we didn't subscribe to that motherfuckers. But no. I'm not going to call them out because they're friends. But I, I've told them in, in, in private. Something I, I, I've used for a very long term that, uh, time, it doesn't work everywhere. Sometimes you will get detected and you will get kicked out. But like, you know, with every Gmail address, which is more than half of all the emails in the world by now, you yes. can add plus whatever at the end. So I would take this subscribe and say, I'm Thomas plus mouse-based at gmail.com. I'm Thomas yeah. plus, and I would mark it. So if I start receiving crap, you can know where you got it from. Like Exactly. So for me... I mean, again, drop in the ocean, not, not, not a large number of people are going to do that, but you lost me forever with that. And I think here, like, yeah, it might work on the short term. Like, oh, I've got a lot more subscribers and my reach I've raised and so on. But yeah, eventually, if people receive something they didn't want, they didn't consent, in the very long term, I think it's going to generate more recent than, than the impact of the sales of whatever you could have in the, in the short term. And sort of karma pays back in the long term. It's just that in the short term, it seems efficient. I had the same thing at some point with like early stage startup. We're really stretched for money. Fundraising Correct, takes yeah. longer than it should. And literally we couldn't pay salaries the following months. And we just started sending like promo first, like crazy to everybody who signed up to us at any point in the life of the company. And like literally we spammed a shitload of people with like, that offer and we did get a bunch of cash in and was absolutely marvelous because we hadn't done it before. We sold a significant amount of stuff that month, which potentially actually saved the company because we could pay salary. Eventually we, we raised and so on. And then say, Oh, that works. Let's do more of this. And mm. eventually after we fundraised just a couple months later, we'll hire somebody for CRM and push notification and email and stuff. And the database was burned. Like we made money that saved our ass over a period of a couple of months. But you but eventually this whole list was completely dead. Our domain was dead. And it took mm-hmm. us a year of work to eventually got back to even reaching people through email. And it's kind of, we needed it to survive, but nobody thought at that point, 
hey, what are the actual consequences of doing this? We're like, we need to save our house. We'll fucking do it. In this case, it was a life and death, life or death situation for the company, not for us. Um, but in many cases, we're not thinking or we're not seeing the big picture in, in you know, it's it's hard to anticipate secondary consequences uh, for many decisions. Um, but I want to believe, and probably I'm too naive and too much of a of a of a romantic in a way. I want <laughs> to believe that karma has its way in the very long term. Like, not that all the criminals are gonna get punished, but that if you push too hard, like yeah, if you pull the rope too hard, it's going to break eventually. And maybe on the, on the short term, you're on the other side, you're good, but it's going to break and and the consequences are going to be bad. So I do try to balance the act and it's a yeah, unstable balance. Uh, you need to answer the short term. You know, everybody's got OKRs and somebody to report to. And even without investors, you know, you always have a boss or somebody's always your boss. In your case, you're the boss, the client is your boss. So there's yeah. always somebody, you know, upstairs in the food chain. Um, so you have to balance the act a little bit. Um, I want to believe those who make the extra effort of thinking the big picture will get rewarded in the long term. Yeah, I'm a naive on. person. No, I mean you, you could call it naive, romantic, a bit hippie if you want. But like, I think I think that's that's why we're discussing here because we're very aligned on that. I mean, of course, maybe and sometimes companies, even if they're like super ethical and whatnot, and uh, it's not like I would call our company ethical, but certainly we do have our standards. We're very principled and, and very opinionated on a lot of stuff and very vocal about it, even on social media. But of course, sometimes you also fuck up because you don't know any better, right? Or I was starting marketing, maybe I use like some tags on SEO that shouldn't be used or whatever. I don't know. It's right? not too um, bad. It's not too no, bad. <laughs> it's not the worst thing ever. But like the more you learn, I think that you have to sort of kind of like undo past actions like, oh, I did this and I should fix this. And most people don't go back to fix it because it would be the consequences of like, am I, am I like getting exposed now that I've been doing it wrong for so many years? Like, but I have no fear in like going back. It's like, oh man, like we had this, uh, this, this form in like a website we forgot about. Let's go fix it. Let's apologize. And people are like, oh, thank you for bringing that up. Like, uh, it's good if you are like saying it or you can even compensate those people. Right. But it's like, I don't know. A lot. Nobody would do that ever, I guess. Now, think, think of it this way. You see how bad technical debt can get. Like when you've got like layers of legacy shit that has been built and now like we're getting technical. It up and <laughs> no, we're not. Yeah. I'm bringing to the fact that at some point, brand yeah. debt cannot be fixed. Just the same way That's good at point. some point technical debt is so big that you have to wipe it out entirely and start from scratch because it. there is yeah. no way to fix it. Uh, in, in For the brand, it's a little bit of the same. Like this, let's say you go too far with the creative, you're a bit too provocative and it works and you push it for a while. Uh, eventually, all these people that have been exposed to seeing your brand and this crap you're never going to convince them back that you're this nice, cool brand that is doing good things. Yeah. Like kind of, and it's really hard to fix brand debt. The thing is, it's really hard to see it in the short term. And this is, yeah, same same answer as before. But um, yeah, uh, brand debt. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm laughing because, uh, you know, when you were talking about brand debt, as a like, will Vueling, like fucking Vueling ever get rid of their brand debt? <laughs> They have literally some of the worst brand depth ever. Like they have everything, yeah. like dark patterns, shit marketing, 
shit apps and everything is like a low moral standards, I think. Like, and I think like that's sort of a meme that boiling just does everything wrong, right? What can you do in that case? Like, what would you do? Like, if you ever got hired by boiling, let's fix this. I know I'm getting, I'm totally destroying them here, but like, uh, I think it's like, whatever, like nobody listens to this podcast. So whatever, like, how could you, how can you unfuck a company like that? Well, I guess in another case, this is why companies rebrand so often, not only because it makes live <laughs> communication agencies and logo designers and stuff, but they actually need to to hide all this crap under the carpet, like kind of the cost, <laughs> the cost of restarting a brand from zero. A zero yeah. is actually a good thing compared to the negative, like uh, negative one thousand yeah. that you build out of it. I don't <laughs> think Welling is gonna rebrand at that point. In that particular case, you have to consider who's behind Welling. I mean, yeah. Europa, yeah. Welling, and Iberia are all the same company, which is British Airways. So yeah. at some point, British Airways can just move its pounds around, you know, and say, okay, you know yeah. what? Vueling is too fat. Let's put all this flight under Air Europa. They can even do it slowly and nobody will even realize it. So actually, this is a good point. A good rather point. than renaming Vueling and changing this ugly yellow and gray to whatever, blue and red, they can yeah. just swap up like, oh, actually, we're going to move it to Air Europa because it's this. Or we're going to create a sub brand of, <laughs> of, oh, only the flights within Spain and slowly move it there, you know? So actually, in this case, they've got this luxury that they've got Ooh. four brands they can play a little bit right around. On. Right um, on. Or they don't give a fuck because at the end of the day, like there is concentration on routes. And lots of the time, if you want the dwelling, Look at the lines they have. I mean, the only alternative you have is Air Europa, which is not better from a UX point of view. The not exact really. same owner. I would actually even argue that Air Europa is a worse UX than Welling, but that's a personal opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. And on, on the pure digital part of it, like the apps and website and stuff. Uh, yeah. But what's the alternative? You know, uh, am I going to take Ryanair just because I don't want to fly Welling? I mean, it's the same crap, you know. At some point, I want to take a 30 euro for flight. I'm going to pay the price for it. And that's it. Yeah. Like, uh, and the price for it is that it sucks to register. And there's a dark pattern that, like, right now, there's this crazy thing about Welling that you can't take your luggage on because supposedly of COVID limitation, which yeah. means everybody goes to check in. And yeah. And people miss their flight because the check-in is so badly organized. And yep. the other day I came, I was going to see my parents and I came one hour before the flight and there's like one hour of queue to check-in. Just went into Jesus. the app, paid the premium so that I can get my fucking bag on board and yeah. board it immediately. I paid not to wait. And that's the way the, the airline industry works this day. I mean, they try to sell you a car and this. Try yeah. to figure out what is the baggage, uh, luggage kind of uh, policy of every airline, it's like a nightmare. They're all different. I know. They're all super tricky. I mean, I'm kind of an expert at that, so I know. Like, but I understand somebody who, who takes two flights per year is gonna get screwed for sure. One is gonna absolutely, absolutely, and two, yeah. there's gonna be a problem with the luggage. They're gonna be charged fifty euro on the on the boarding gate, or yeah, something is gonna gate. happen. Like a guarantee. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but like and like these dark patterns, they trap and they trap people who don't know any better, or they cannot afford the upgrades. Therefore, that's why they're they're even like twice as dark in my book because it's like yeah, you can pay for the premium, but other people want, so they are screwed because they cannot afford it, right? And we're okay with that as an airline. 
Right? I was like, oh my God. Anyways, yeah. I think th- we could we could be talking for hours. I think we, we need to wrap it up here. But like I said, super interesting. And and I, I, we could write a book uh, of the things <laughs> we haven't talked about, right? Because there's so many other things like, you know, business settings and, and more like UX and, and product and technology. I think uh, we'll need to record a, sec- a second episode. But anyways, uh, parting, some parting words. Like before, you know, before saying goodbye, we always like our... Um, our guests to share one really big fuck up in their field that they've done. Uh, so it's your turn. What's the, oh what's the, what's the, that's one fuck up and, you know, call it marketing or branding mm-hmm. or monetization that you, you have done yourself. No other people's fuck ups. Uh, some people uh, try to use always a scapegoat, but. Uh, I, I didn't prepare for that. Um, shit. I'm going to force you to edit uh, until I come up with it. Uh, wait for it. <laughs> I do small fuck-ups all the time. It's just uh, none of the recent ones I can think of is really memorable. Like, they're all so tiny that they don't matter at all. Um, yeah, man, so many times I just I did a zero on some campaign. Eventually, it's not my money, so I don't give a shit. It's not very original, but that happens. It's not like it happens once. It just happens regularly. It just input. It's just something that you, like, when you did just, like, the moment, like, you send an email to the wrong person or something, it's like, oh, my God, like, facepalm immediately or... Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I got that. Oh, actually, I got that with a client yesterday. Like, uh, oh, nice. <laughs> I, I actually myself answer FaceTime myself to him. Like, I took like a fucking hour to explain something that was quite technical and a reason why we should not do this. And the client answered me, okay, let's not do this. And I actually misread his email, like, no, fuck it, let's do it. Uh, so I rewent and went, and actually, I had such a patronizing tone with him. Like, it was. Like on the second email, like it was really All bad. Right. Like, yeah, because I had taken a huge effort to actually explain why, and I, I oh made my god, that's a good one. I misread the answer as yeah, let's do it, which was let's not do it, and I went over and again, but as if they were really three years old, and oh. there were quite a few people on CC in this email, and then oh. I re- the the one person in this group answered me like, uh, dude we tell you we're okay, you know, like uh, no big deal. Oh. And then I received it and I went back and read at what I wrote and who received it. And I was like, Oh my fucking God. Like this is, oh, this is that's, bad. Like, <laughs> that's, that's a painful one. Oh, that's a, that's, that's a really good one. I mean, thank, the, we don't do it to this. shame people. We do it yeah, so that yeah, we can but, share that, you know, it's, it's something like that. We share our fuck ups all I, the time. I guess I was pissed. I, I I was in a hurry. I misread, but the way I talked to them was not nice. I'm I'm lucky enough. I've been working for this company for over three years now. I guess yeah. they will they will forgive me, but uh, I will take that debt for quite a while because now they've seen how I can talk in a in a very childish manner to them, and I think it's uh, going to take. You know, trust is hard to build and, and easy to break. You got some brand depth now. <laughs> yeah, I've got some brand depth there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> all right. One, one minute, uh, Thomas. Uh, first of all, thank you for, for your time. Thank you for sharing all of this. One minute. How can we help you? How can we help your, your brand? I mean, it was, it's always your company, but your company is yourself. So what yeah, can we do for you? What do you, what you got going on in your life? I'm literally not selling, no buying anything. So it's cool. If you want to follow my crap on, on Twitter, I'm happy like, like that you do. Your newsletter. Good, good uh, time to shout new- it out. My newsletter is very specific for apps, but if yep. you want to read about that, there's lots of marketing jargon in there, like kind of bizarre words. It's on madv.io. That's Madventure, Mobile Venture. It's actually hard to spell. Madv.io. And yeah, um, I'm just you asking. 
just ask one thing. You don't like it, just unsubscribe. Don't fucking spam me. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but it's a good thing. Like what you mentioned in the beginning, the, the, the thing about the um, Gmail aliases, right? So yeah. Alex plus um, Nike at marsbase.com. Yeah. I've been using this forever. Like I got a blog post. I wrote a blog post on how to do it to see like, you want to know who's, who's spamming you? Like this is a good technique. Like uh, that, that probably that blog post is a little bit uh, clickbaity. I didn't know any better. Like seven or eight years ago, I wrote it. Yeah. And uh but it works so well, especially with companies that yes, sometimes I, I subscribe to the newsletters. Like, ah, I didn't subscribe to your product. I subscribe to your company newsletter. And so. I know we're over time, but I'll tell you a funny story. Sure, go ahead. I've got, a, I've got a fairly common name and I've got a fairly common last name in France. There's at yeah. some point, it was the fifth small common name and last name. So obviously there's a shit ton of Thomas Petit everywhere. Yeah. I've got this Gmail address that I always write a... Petit dot Thomas in, in my email address. Yeah. And I've got one of these dudes in France that's also called Thomas Petit, where his address is Petit Thomas something, but half and of he, the time he screws up and he forgets. And so and I you get his email. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got access to like his phone bills and his, his mortgage and dental records and like heavy crap. Like, anyway, the point is, he subscribed to a lot of dating sites and porn sites, uh, which makes that I receive like a shitload of crap that he subscribes to. So yeah. maybe my, maybe my wife thinks that I, I'm, I'm making excuses. That's why I've got so many porn email coming into, into my inbox. And then you will get some ads because they're written to your, your Gmail, right? So yeah, but the beauty get... of it is that the dude always writes it without the dots. So I just label the uh, thing like right. whenever something comes without the dub, it's auto spam, like boom, straight up. I keep yeah. receiving shit like uh, all the time, but at least I can filter it. So I just like, I just wish like that no homonyms is ever going to write it with the dot because then my filter gets screwed and I, I don't have a solution yeah. for that. But it's a little bit like the plus, like I kind of managed to detect the pattern so I can get all that crap on the side and and that's it. Yeah. But yeah, I've received some bizarre stuff. Once, so, I mean, once, yeah, sorry. Go even ahead. once, like, his mother wrote me, like, and I mean, I read it because I thought it was for me. It was at the beginning. I didn't have this label system. Yeah. And I mean, there was something that she wanted to speak to her son about that seemed important to me. So out of education, I answer her like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. You've got the wrong dude. Like, uh, I mean, uh, this is not the correct email address. If you're trying to reach out to your son, it's not him. Uh, I will delete this email. Bye-bye. Yeah. Oh, and then I've got threats. Like, yeah, you've hacked into my son email and whatnot. Like, and the, the, <laughs> oh like, the amount of shit I received after that was like, okay, I need to block that that sender. Like, <laughs> It's like, like, come on, what kind of mom talks to his son via email? Like, first off, right? <laughs> That's one thing. The second is if you're sending all of that to spam, dating sites and porn sites, I think they should be used to that. But like his dentist was like, screw it. It will be removed off the internet because you're automatically <laughs> sending them to spam anyway. I mean, there's but, not, yeah. I, I, I don't fully spam. I, I spam all the dating and, yeah, 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 and yeah. porn site when the rest <laughs> I just auto delete, like kind of. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, that's, oh, that's a really fun story to wrap it up with. Thank you very much, Thomas. Uh, merci beaucoup. Um, and I'll see you all in the next episode. Bye. Yeah, my pleasure. Bye-bye, Alex. We are Mars-based, an all-remote consultancy from Barcelona, specializing in web and mobile development. 
We help all kinds of companies, from startups to big corporations, to conceptualize, design, and develop solutions for their business using technology. And now, how can we help you? 